Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Excellencies, ladies and gentlemen, the President of the Republic of the Philippines, President Ferdinand Romualdez Marcos Jr. The Marcos name became infamous around the world when the Filipino dictator and his flamboyant family were forced out of office in the 1980s. So when the Philippines elected a new president, Ferdinand Marcos, earlier this summer, it raised a few eyebrows. This is a historic moment for us all. I feel it deep within me. You, the people, have spoken, and it is resounding. Your dreams are mine. The presidential election had drawn some remarkable candidates, including a boxing legend, a former porn star, an ex-police chief, and the vice president who got into politics after her husband's death in a plane crash. But when it came down to it, the people of the Philippines voted overwhelmingly for the son of a former dictator. We are Filipinos, one nation, one republic indivisible. We resisted and never failed to defeat foreign attempts to break up our country in my father's watch. The sun also rises like it did today and as it will tomorrow. And as surely as that, we will achieve the country all Filipinos deserve. God bless the Philippines. God bless our work. Why have the Philippines brought back the Marcos family? And what do we know about the new president? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, Ferdinand Bongbong Marcos, how a dictator's son swept to power. In the Philippines, politics can sometimes seem like an extension of the national love affair with soap operas. The presidential elections this summer certainly fed that hunger for drama. To try and make sense of it all, 
we spoke to Richard Haydarin. I'm a Manila-based academic and columnist, and I've been trying to make sense out of the Philippines over the past decade or so. And we went just from one interesting president to the other. And in my opinion, it's more like jumping from the fire to the frying pan. Filipino politics has a deep and complex history of colonialism, of Spanish rule, American wars and Japanese occupation. But today's story really starts in 1965 with the election of Ferdinand Marcos, who would go on to become an infamously corrupt dictator. I have received hundreds and hundreds of telegrams from all corners of the Philippines congratulating you and incidentally me. Within seven years of taking power, Marcos placed the country under martial law, effectively turning it into a dictatorship. For the proclamation of martial law, for the sudden cessation of anarchy and of criminality throughout the land. So over the next 15 years or so, he was in charge of the Philippines and he established a particularly brutal regime. But the regime is even more known for its self-indulgence and corruption if any public official engages in corruption, he will land in jail. That is definite. And that's where former First Lady and the mother of current Filipino President Imelda Marcos comes in the picture. Imelda Marcos was a former beauty queen, and as First Lady, she was famed for her lavish lifestyle. Imelda Marcos, she was kind of a Cinderella, right? She came from the lower rungs of a prominent family. She never thought that she will reach the level of prominence and wealth that she would, but all her dreams would come true under Marcos' dictatorship when she would enjoy all the decadence. And whenever she was interviewed by people, like, how do you feel when, when you have all of these luxuries and diamonds and thousands of shoes which really made Imelda notorious around the world? And don't you feel guilty? I mean, look at ordinary people in the country suffering because the Philippines was really in the grip of an economic crisis in the early 1980s. I think she was really the first influencer. Had we had YouTube and TikTok back then, perhaps she would have been famous ahead of Kardashian. In 1975, with most of their opponents in jail, Imelda Marcos entered politics herself as a governor and later also as an MP, appointed by her husband. You do not understand the Philippine politics. My uh, wife was elected. It's just a matter of helping out. So it was really a marriage of extreme decadence and corruption with brutal ambitions and dictatorship. Once it became clear that the government had committed grave human rights abuses, with thousands being tortured and killed, world leaders started to distance themselves from the Marcos family, but not enough to make an impact. But that changed on the 21st of August, 1983. Opposition leader Ninoy Aquino Jr was flying back to the Philippines after a period living in exile. But uh, I think the, the very fact alone that we can land is victory enough. Everything after that's bonus. I mean, whether they put me back in a plane and ship me out or bring me to prison, 
I have promised to return. I have returned against all odds. So that's good enough for me. But moments after stepping off the plane. He was assassinated on the tarmac at Manila International Airport. So there was massive mourning and massive protests. So from 1982 to 1986, really the clock was ticking for the Marcos dictatorship as popular resistance builds up. The widow of the assassinated opposition leader, Aquino, took her husband's place. I concede that I cannot match Mr. Marcos when it comes to experience. I admit that I have no experience in cheating, stealing, lying or assassinating political opponents. Marcos won the next election, but Corazan Aquino claimed it was rigged against her and led what became known as the People Power Revolution in 1986. It was a revolution that Richard Haydarian's family remembered well. My uh, close aunt, she, she was actually there during the day of the Revolution. I think she showed me even once a newspaper clip that had a picture of the protesters and then she was there atop the tree, like on one of the branches of the tree. And she was young then. And, and her memory of the 1986 revolution was really ecstasy. It, it, it's really what everyone writes about when they're in the middle of a revolutionary moment, right? So there was really the sense that the change is in the air and that everything is possible. All sorts of people backed the revolution, young and old, union workers, nuns, students and teachers. That revolution ended two decades of Marcos rule. Corazan Aquino became president, ushering in a return to democracy. I do not seek vengeance. I demand justice, not only for Ninoy, but for all the Filipinos who have been victimized by Marcos. Ferdinand Marcos was exiled and moved to Hawaii with his wife Imelda and his children. This exile was recognized by the Guinness World Records as the greatest robbery of a government, as an estimated $10 billion worth of cash and goods were taken by the family, with only $4 billion ultimately being returned to the state. In 1991, Two years after Ferdinand's death, the family returned to the Philippines and was once more drawn to politics, particularly Ferdinand Marcos Jr., nicknamed Bong Bong, and now known as Mr. President. Now that the Marcos dictatorship is out of the picture, and that's why people like my aunt, like people who were there in the streets during those moments, they have been so frustrated with how things have turned out the way they did in recent years. Meaning the great promise of that revolution was not really fulfilled. It's really an unfinished revolution. It's really a revolution that one could even say that was hijacked. Coming up, how did Bong Bong Marcos win the election? That's after a quick message from a colleague. 
I'm Christina Lamb. I'm chief foreign correspondent of the Sunday Times, and I mostly cover conflict around the world. I particularly focus on what happens to women in war. And the reason that we can do this kind of reporting is thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. So please subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Richard Lloyd Parrin. I'm the Asia editor of The Times. Richard, I know you've been watching the situation in the Philippines in the run-up to the presidential election this year. The name Marcos sort of became synonymous with a level of corruption and excess. And, you know, Imelda Marcos's shoe collection became world famous. So the idea that they've now democratically elected the son, I think, will shock a lot of people. Just tell us, what were the main issues in this election? How did he end up winning? Well, he tried before. He, he'd had various elected posts. He'd been a, a mayor, I think, a governor and a senator. And he, in the last presidential election, he ran for vice president and narrowly lost. This time around, he ran a very effective campaign that was partly effective in that he said very little of substance. He generally avoided journalists, he gave very few interviews, he gave very few press conferences, but he he gave a large number of speeches which were you know really very general in their content. He talked a lot about the need for national unity for everyone to pull together. But he also ran a very, very slick social media campaign using platforms like Facebook Twitter and TikTok especially, in in which he rather successfully played down and and even managed to kind of glamorise the era of his father and to present it as a golden era of, of unity and togetherness to a young electorate, who many of whom were not even born when those events transpired. Tell us a bit about him. What sort of a man is he? What do we know about him as a character? Well, you know, I was looking at his inauguration speech, which he gave, and he's managed to present himself as a a, a rather soft-spoken character, not an excitable person, very much a contrast with the outgoing president, Rodrigo Duterte, 
who is an aggressive, combative, self-consciously offensive man. I mean, to give you an idea, he referred not only to Barack Obama as, as the son of a whore in a speech, but also to the Pope oh, wow. in, in a you know, very Roman Catholic country. That, that was Duterte through and through. He was a you know, street fighter. And Marcos, I think, has you know, rather wisely created a public image, which is very different from that. He's rather smiley, rather almost twinkly, slightly bland, but clearly people don't mind that very much. And and he's got around him, you know, sort of more interesting, exciting people. He's He's got a young son called Alexander, who's in his 20s, who's a bit of an internet personality, a YouTuber in his own right. And he's also played a big part in his father's campaign. The dynasty continues. And have you actually met Bong Bong Marcus? A long time ago I did, yes. It was a strange situation. It was 2013, and there'd been a terrible typhoon which struck one of the islands of the Philippines near a, a city called Tacloban. Uh, and I went over to cover that, you know, this just this scene of devastation, thousands dead. And one day I realised that uh, very close to this devastated city was the home of Imelda Marcos, the family home. So I thought, well, I'll go down and, and have a look. And I drove out to this sort of estate which had been badly hit by the disaster. And I went in there hoping, of course, that I would find the, the scattered remains of thousands of pairs of shoes. Yes. And I didn't find any shoes, although the place was gutted. But as, as I walked in there, down this long drive, a, a helicopter landed and a couple of smart chaps came out. And one of them came up and said hello. And I said, I'm from the Times. And he said to me, did you go to Oxford? And he was, he, he was a cousin of Bongbong Marcos. And with him also having stepped off the helicopter was, was Bongbong. And th- they had both indeed been to Oxford, being a, a correspondent for you know, Her Britannic Majesty's Times. Anyway, I followed them around for a few hours and they gave up bags of rice and supplies to locals who had clearly been rounded up and put in place just for the occasion for the <laughs> photo op. And then when the, the VIPs drove off, they just walked away and went back to whatever they were doing. And then Bong Bong and his, his cousin got back on the helicopter and flew off. I, I thought I had a great in with him then, and I kind of got various email addresses and and tried to follow it up afterwards and never got any reply. What was your impression of him? I didn't get a strong impression. He had, had come down there to do a political job, which was to show his face, hand out a few token goodies, be photographed doing so, and then disappear again. He, he he didn't give the impression of really putting his heart into it, except when the cameras were trained on him, when he smiled a politician's smile. And he's obviously fascinated by by Oxford University. I mean, tell us a bit about his background. What do we know about his his past? Yeah, well, of course, he you know he grew up as the uh, the, the son of the uh, of the president of an immensely wealthy, powerful, and ruthless man, Ferdinand Marcos Senior. So he grew up in the presidential palace. There are lots of photographs of him there. He did indeed go to Oxford, although it, it came out, my colleague Philip Showell in the Sunday Times wrote about this a few months ago, that he, at the very least, exaggerated the character of the qualification he did at Oxford. Uh-uh. It, wasn't, it wasn't as, you know, as grand as, as he made out. And then he came back when the family returned, were able to return to the Philippines in the 90s and, and started the job of establishing himself 
as a politician in the Marcos home base, which is in the north of the island of Luzon, the, the sort of biggest of, and most populous of the islands of the Philippines. I mean, I, I, as a character, I understand that even his own father thought he was lazy and not really suitable for politics. Has has the that I mean that clearly the electorate doesn't agree? What sort of impression do you get of him as a politician? I mean, you said bland earlier. Is that kind of his brand? I was just reading his inaugural speech, which is an extraordinary confection of vapid cliches and and trite statements of the obvious. I mean, it's just very hard to find any substance in it. You know, it's one cliche after another. We, giving up is not an option. We've been through times of bitter division. But, you... but united, we came through to this when it shall begin again, but better. The campaigns I've run have taken me... So he talks a lot about promising to get it done, but he doesn't actually say what it is. It's not necessarily a sign of having no political ideas. But I think he decided as a political strategy that he was going to avoid, avoid engaging in, in policy debates and make it about mood and atmosphere and appeals to unity and appeals to the past. We are presently drawing up a comprehensive, all-inclusive plan for economic transformation. We will build back better by doing things in the light of the experiences that we have had, both good and bad. It doesn't matter. No looking back in anger or nostalgia. In the road ahead, the immediate months will be rough, but I will walk that road with you. And he pulled off a very clever trick, I think, of both drawing on his father's legacy. And there are some people who remember his father, you know, with respect at the very least. Really? But at the same time, throwing it forward and saying, but I don't want to talk about the past. Let's focus on the future. My father built more and better roads, produced more rice than all administrations before his. President Rodriguez Roa Duterte built more and better than all the administrations succeeding my father's. When he says, I don't want to talk about the past, he means I don't want to talk about human rights violations, about torture, about political opponents disappearing. But to the extent that Ferdinand Marcos, you know, like a lot of dictators, did succeed in imposing his will and in, as they used to say, Mussolini making the trains run on time. I am here not to talk about the past. I am here to tell you about our future. There are some people who, who that's what they remember about the Marcos years. Well, and with with Bong Bong, do you think do you think the sort of the bland image is that is that quite deliberate? Yeah, I mean it's very hard, at least hard for me, to predict what kind of president he's going to be. There's very little flesh on the bones so far. Richard, for you, watching the inauguration of a new president, Marcos. Were you surprised by the outcome of this election? By the time the election came around, it was really quite clear Bong Bong Marcos was going to win and that he might well win by a huge majority. And that, that is what happened. So no, for a few weeks, it wasn't surprising. But I think overall, the, the fact that the Marcoses are back now is really amazing. I mean, even to some of them, 
I mean, mm. Bong Bong's got a sister called Imei, who's also, you know, held various posts herself. And she was, before her brother's victory, she was asked about it. And she said, well, we've been working quietly all these years, these years, but the truth is we've been out of fashion for such a long time. We're surprised that we're back in style. Wow. Um, so even, even the, the family are surprised. And, uh, I mean, it really is a remarkable turnabout if you, if you have a sense of the, of the country's history over the last you know, 30, 40 years because the, the ousting of Ferdinand Marcos Sr. was such a moment. And for that to be reversed really is extraordinary. The wheels of, of history can come round very abruptly and hit you on the chin if you're looking the wrong way. So compared to our neighbors, the Philippines stands out in a particularly good way, let's say, as far as our democratic credentials are concerned. But as far as elections are concerned in the Philippines, massive vote buying is really the name of the game. Massive disenfranchisement, political violence. In fairness, in recent years, political violence has down. So there's more security during elections. But, you know, vote buying is still a very, very big problem in the Philippines. So So that's a form of massive corruption. And it's not just vote buying that's swaying elections. While social media has been used to manipulate elections all over the world, the Philippines was ground zero for this new form of viral campaigning. In the past elections, platforms such as Facebook were very dominant. What changed in this election is that new platforms like TikTok, for instance, became very, very influential. And this was actually perfect for the Marcuses because the Marcuses are masters of performative and nostalgic populism. They know how to script their message. I mean, if you look at Ferdinand Marcos Jr., he has the name of his father, the strong man, this authoritarian leader. And yet, if you look at his image on TikTok especially, right, he looks almost like a BTS star, right? His hair is this Korean pop star. He has V-cut shirts, bomber jackets. He smiles. He's charming. He's urbane. He talks about the bright future. He's avuncular. So you don't see any trace of the son of an ex-dictator or a man who will bring dictatorship back to the Philippines. And that is why actually Marcos did very well among the younger generation. In fact, Gen Z, right? So folks who are 18 to say 24 who voted in this elections, they were the yeah. biggest supporters of Ferdinand Marcos Jr. I think you're talking numbers oh, really? closer to 70%. Does that also benefit not just from social media, but also because they won't remember in their lifetime what his father was like? This is where it gets interesting because in 2016, my generation, especially older millennials, fewer of us voted for Marcus Jr. than the older generation. Really? So actually in 2016, nostalgia is what helped him. Meaning people who were actually there, they saw everything, but because of their frustration with the presence, they suddenly romanticized the past, right? And that's where nostalgia, authoritarian nostalgia is powerful. So some will talk about amnesia or ignorance, but nostalgia is an important factor. In this election, both came together. So Marcos has been doing best among the oldest and the youngest. So why has social media campaigning been so effective in the Philippines? So in the Philippines, access to internet, high quality internet is not really as high, right? Right. Archipelagic country, internet is among the most expensive in the region, if not the world. Electricity is also among the most expensive But this is where it gets interesting. So a few years ago, Facebook teamed up 
and also now TikTok and other kinds of social media, they teamed up with the service providers in the Philippines, whereby if you buy, let's say, a SIM card, right, from a certain service provider, you have free access to Facebook and some of the social media accounts. Yeah. So what does it mean? Essentially, social media is your internet. So people don't have internet access, so they cannot go on Google and research about the topic, but they can constantly be on Facebook and be exposed to supposed news, sometimes legitimate, sometimes fake news. So that provided tremendous amount of wiggle room for all sorts of creative folks in the dark arts to experiment with this information. And that is why, you know, in the, the Philippines has become a laboratory for all sorts of disinformation campaigns. And as I said, our call centers, a number of them are now even involved in what we call white trolling. So this ecosystem, this completely unregulated ecosystem where tens of millions of people are on social media five, six, seven, eight, some, some even 12 hours a day, right? Wow. You are talking about really, really a lot of data and really, really a lot of analytics lessons that can be drawn and applied to other election campaigns around the world. Is that the reason why the Philippines have been targeted? I mean, why, why, why are so many of these, the trolling campaigns and the social media electoral campaigning effectively, why is that all, all centered around the Philippines? Yeah, I mean, the Philippines, of course, being also a democracy, it has a much more unregulated media space. So that way it's easier for people to spread message, all sorts of messages online people who may not have had the proponing in terms of critical thinking, in terms of sifting through this information online. And then at the same time, you have a completely unregulated social media. And then you have a lot of politicos, right? In fact, interestingly, from 2019 elections onwards, it looks like almost all sides are using their own troll farms. So it's like troll versus troll farms. Wow. And by the way, it's really, really profitable. Vlogging in the Philippines is a very profitable really? business. I mean, I know blogger friends who are making even more than anchors on mainstream TV channels. And wow. you look at their material. I mean, it's just preposterous, right? No research, no proper editing <laughs> whatsoever. It's complete, you know, it's a complete circus. And yet people just like love it. For you, as a close observer, what's your great hope for, for politics in the Philippines? I think the Philippine opposition, liberal opposition, they also need a big wake-up. And I hope this election was really a big wake-up for them. Mm. The opposition in this country really has to get its act together, has to really rally around charismatic leaders, has to adopt new strategies and learn the right lessons on how to resist authoritarian populism and create a much more progressive and sound and sustain mobilization in favor of democratic politics. I think this is really what we need. So for me, this is actually an, an opportunity for the reinvention of the opposition. Assuming, you know, people don't migrate right and left. And this is the problem we have in the Philippines. Because we're so versatile and cosmopolitan, whenever people have a problem, they just say we're going to just migrate. And we have to regain the confidence of people in liberal democracy. Because to be fair to the Filipino people, I think the victory of Marcos Jr. was a less a vote for him, but a vote against that tired, cliche, half-hearted liberal reformism that we experienced in the past. So that's why to regain the confidence of the Filipino people, there has to be a, a new and more edgy version of 
democratic and pro- progressive mobilization. So who knows? We may have a, a second democratic movement in the Philippines and hopefully this time it will do much better than the previous one. So it's not the end of the story. The Philippines is still technically democracy. We still are going to have elections in the foreseeable future. There's still an element of media freedom, but the clock is also ticking. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, The Times Asia editor, Richard Lloyd Parry, and Philippines analyst, Richard Haydarian. You can find all of Richard Lloyd Parry's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer was Amy Leibovitz. The executive producer today was James Shield, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a review. It'll help others to find it. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.